Are you familiar with Bernie Glassman and the Zen Peacemaker Order? You're into yes. bearing witness. <laughs> They're just like the Jehovah Witnesses. They're into bearing witness. It's probably a little different, but... Uh... <laughs> Okay, so tonight's our last night of this class. And uh, um, well, why don't we chant first and then we'll begin. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood from my heart, I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood from my heart, I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood from my heart, I take refuge in the three jewels. Whatever the virtues of the many fields of knowledge, all our steps on the path to omniscience, may these arise in the clear mirror of intellect. Please accomplish this. Just like the six ornaments and the two supreme ones who beautify our world, you are their equal in your mastery of compassion, learning, and realization, yet you practiced it in the forest in sacred solitude. Longchenpa, who perfected samsara and nirvana in the state of Dharmakaya, Trimeo's their stainless light at your feet, I pray. Grant your blessings so I may realize the natural state, the true nature of mine. Somewhere. Is that me? Yeah, I hear it too. Huh? It's quite loud. Yeah. A swarm of bees. <laughs> Let's see if it's me. It just it went away. It just yeah. It, it, I think it's, it's coming and gone a couple yeah. times. Is it your lamp, Derek? I think it's something with your mic, your microphone. Yeah. How about if I do this? Does it get any better? That stopped yes. it. Really? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, what was that? Do you know? It's the power source. You know, uh, my laptop is sort of old as the laptops oh. go, I guess now. It's like seven or so years old. So it doesn't. the battery doesn't last long, and you like to keep it plugged in, right? Yeah, for some reason the battery never did. And then the the original charger, like the wiring, it's like falling apart. So I, I've tried to get a replacement one, and it just uh, they're they're close, but they don't seem to be exact. Anyway, I'll wait I think till it seven fails. years is uh, is like uh, eighty in human years. <laughs> really? So how old is your laptop? <laughs> they don't have one. <laughs> Oh, you have a desktop, I see. Yeah. <laughs> but I just had to get a new one after, yeah, mine was about that old. 
Anyway, so that's better now? Yeah, uh, much better. That's good to know. So I did this big class on Sunday. People were kept complaining about the sound. I, I was going to say it was the same thing as what happened the other day. Although there you also had the issue of, of loudness, but the hum was kicking in and out I, then also. Yeah, yeah. Sort of intimidating 287 people. <laughs> this is much nicer. So uh, uh, I made a mistake in the reading, which... Uh, you probably noticed and found that uh, the reading was shorter than usual, which was probably nice. <laughs> Except that we don't make it to the Vajrayana this this year. Uh, the other thing is uh, uh, we had done a um, survey or a uh, lottery or a vote or whatever it was this past summer on what courses people were interested in what material and so the next one um, if you're interested the next course is uh, going to be on meditation I don't know if you guys are into meditation or not does that mean we're not continuing with Long Chempa? no we're not oh yeah hmm. Uh, he he goes off into some like really heavy duty Vajrayana stuff. Yeah. Have you looked at the rest of the book? No, I haven't. I read the Kalafon, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but but how many of you are uh, Vajrayana practitioners, tantrikas? Yeah. So when when you all become tantrikas, then we'll come back to this, okay? Do you guys have a, a path towards that? Or an interest in becoming Tantricas? Yeah. Cool. So then we can come back to this. And uh, if you if you peek ahead, I don't know if any of you have ever looked at the Profound Treasury Volume 3. It's no, not yet. Really big blue one. And uh, it's, uh, Rimshe uh, draws a lot of that material from this book, which is sort of neat. But it's really sort of out there material. So, <laughs> uh, so the next course, the idea is to be on meditation, uh, Shamatan Vipassana, the basis of all of all samadhis, from Jangun Cultural to Chogyam Trungpa showing how he, his uh, presentation of meditation uh, to a large degree is a commentary on uh, Jamalun Kongshul's presentation in the Treasury of Knowledge. So I hope that's of interest to you guys. Sort of mundane, down-to-earth compared to Long Shenba. <laughs> Derek? Yes, ma'am. Um, my computer just um, turned off and I... I just could you just real quick tell me what you were talking about? We're talking about the next class, okay. the material for the next class. You, you disappeared for a little while, and the next class is going to be on meditation, Shamatha Vipassana. Is there a text that you uh, want us to get? Or no, I'll provide you with a digital resource book. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. And so tonight uh, we're on uh, 
uh, my reckoning is page 221. Timeless awareness is what is supported. What is supporting what's supported? The first part must have been the support, right? I think it was spiritual potential or basic space. No, you're all, you're you're getting warm. You're getting warm. Anyone else? What is the support? I don't know. I have it. Don't hold back. Nobody, by the way, reminded me to send out the, the conceptions that are overcome over on the path of uh, preparation. I was I was really hurt that nobody did that. <laughs> you guys got to, you know, like things come up in class and it would be really helpful if, if people like took a little note or something and then sent me a reminder. But I did just send it just before class. So the Kaya's the Kaya's yeah. right. <laughs> supporting factors on page 211 and we're still within uh, what section of the book? Path of no more learning right. or cause based and cause, yeah. Yeah, the path of no more learning which is part of the uh, paths of the cause based approaches. The Sutriana is causal cause and, and result-based paths and the Vajrayana is fruitional. So timeless awareness is what has supported my explanation is uh, three parts as usual. Thorough classification, the nature of the individual aspects and the way in which it knows all that can be known. Some interesting stuff tonight. The basis of classification is simply the timeless awareness of Buddhahood. So the basis of uh, classification. What I'm classifying is, in essence, the knowledge of reality just as it is, and the knowledge of things and their multiplicity. These are the two types of knowledge of omniscience of a Buddha. The knowledge of reality just as it is, that they usually abbreviate it as the nature and extent of all phenomena. Nature is uh, the knowledge of reality just as it is, and the extent is uh, things in their multiplicity. First kind is the direct knowing of all objects of knowledge. Things with their individual properties, cause, result, and so forth, free of the limitations of conceptual elaboration. And he quotes the intermediate mom. What is called knowledge of all things is the result of knowing one thing, the true nature of phenomena, which has the attribute of Peace. Peace as in what? Emptiness. Derek, I'm sorry, where are you? You said 211? Uh, uh, 221. I had a mistake in the syllabus. Okay. Really sorry. First time time ever, I promise. (laughs) Won't happen again. (laughs) Thank you. So I just made it onto the top of 222 with a quote from the the intermediate length mom. Have we lost Barbara again? Maybe she needs a new computer. Uh, let's see. In some source texts, this knowledge is termed, <clears throat> I'm sorry, the attribute of peace as in nirvana is peace, as in the fourths of the four axioms or marks of the Mahayana tradition. 
nirvana is peace. So the knowledge of all things is the result of knowing one thing, the true nature of phenomena, which is at peace. They're all, all phenomena are uh, forever in nirvana and have not moved from nirvana. This knowledge is termed timeless awareness as the basic space of phenomena. The second kind of knowledge is discussed in relation to three things, nature, analysis, and cause. Is First, it's nature is to know directly all objects of knowledge. That's pretty much everything, I think. Oh, Barbara's back. Okay. <laughs> You're back. See, my internet is doing something weird uh, tonight. Okay. Sorry. sorry about that. We're uh, at the top of 222. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. To know all objects of knowledge, things with their individual properties, causes, results, and so forth, as if they were illusions from the same source, whatever attributes, distinctive marks, and characteristics describe phenomena accurately, such a target to thoroughly comprehend those attributes, those distinctive marks, and those characteristics. An analysis of timeless awareness is knowledge of things and their multiplicity shows that it has four aspects. Mirror-like timeless awareness, timeless awareness as equalness, discerning timeless awareness, and timeless awareness as spontaneous fulfillment. Anybody know what these four are? Any ideas? Have you seen these four in some other place? Sounds like, the, sounds like the wisdoms. Way. Oh. Everybody else get that? Did you hear what uh, Cynthia said? Oh, good. So no, no guesses. We're we're a path of no more learning, and uh, the kayas, which are the support, are the three kayas: Dharma Kaya, Samboga Kaya, Nirmana Kaya. And the Samboga Kaya is famous for manifesting as what? <laughs> Equality. Well, that's one of them. There's a bunch of others. It's similar to the mafia. Do you know? Do you know the mafia? When the mafia families? in the heyday, the families, the five families oh. of the mafia, right? The five major families: the Corleones, the Collinis, the Cannolis, and the Sputonis. <laughs> I don't know, something like that. So yeah, we're talking about the five wisdoms of the five Buddha families. And the, the center one is timeless awareness is the basic space of phenomena, the first one, the ultimate, knowing the ultimate nature that he just described up at the top of 222 after the, the quote. And now we're in the middle of 222. An analysis of timeless awareness is knowledge of things and their multiplicity shows it has four aspects. Mirror-like, Wisdom is uh, uh, which Buddha family? Tonight we'll quiz all night long because it's a party. <laughs> Padra? Padra, yes. <laughs> um, timeless awareness says equalness. Know your, your Buddha families. Uh, Padma? No, 
What's in between them? Rottenness. Rotten. All right. Equalness. Rotten. Wells gets uh, gets transformed into equalness. Vajra Vajra mind intellect gets transformed into mirror like. And then uh, discerning timeless awareness. Padma. Padma. Noticing all the fine details. And then uh, spontaneous fulfillment. What a great translation that is. Amaga City. Yes. Uh, which is the, the Buddha of which family? Amaga City. Yes. Karma? Karma. Yes. The Karma family. Do it all. Do everything. Spontaneous. All right. Family. Karma family. Effortlessly. Effortlessly. Yep. Thank you. The causes of these aspects of timeless awareness are of two kinds. They're antidotes as causes, which bring about a process of removal. So these are the two qualities of Buddhahood. The removal of defilements uh, by virtue of antidotes. And there's the nature of these aspects of the cause, the nature from which <clears throat> overlying distortions are removed. Um, so, so then there's just the, uh, the blossoming of Buddha qualities. Those two aspects, Sangye, in the word Sangye is the Tibetan for Buddha. In the first case, on the path that involved learning, one is aided by retaining the many varieties of teaching. One is heard, just like you guys remember everything completely. One is aided by retaining the many varieties of teaching. One is heard, meditating on the equalness of oneself and others, the fourth Brahma Vihara, <clears throat> imparting teachings appropriate to the personal lot of those to be guided. Personal lot is a technical term that has to do with uh, property division in inner cities and uh, ensuring benefit for others. By purifying one of distortions, these actions serve as causes for experiencing the four innate aspects of timeless awareness. My trainer's uh, ornament of the sutra says to one's in retention, maintain an attitude of equalness imparting authentic teachings as much, as much as possible and accomplishing what has to be done, what is to be done. The four aspects of timeless awareness occur authentically. I didn't get four out of this, let's see, through one's retention. I guess that's Vajra, maintaining an attitude of equalness as Radna, imparting authentic teachings as much as possible as Padma, I guess, and accomplishing what is to be done as Karma. The process of transformation is considered to take place in that one's innate timeless awareness manifests on the strength of being unencumbered by ups, excuse me, by indigence, no, I mean obscuring factors. With the collapse of the eight avenues of consciousness that function in the impure state of being, together with their support, so the eight are, you know, the five senses, the sixth sense, the, the functional mind, and then the ego consciousness, and then the Ali, the uh, Ali Vijnana, the all-ground consciousness. Um, with the collapse of those and uh, that function in the impure state, together with their support, 
the basis of all ordinary experience, the, the fundamental alia, the fundamental ground, timeless awareness arises in their stead, instead of the eight consciousnesses. With the purification of the basis of all ordinary experience, there is timeless awareness as the basic space of phenomena. Which Buddha family is that? Buddha? Buddha, right in the middle. Um, with the purification of consciousness as the basis of all ordinary experience, there is mirror-like timeless awareness. Really cool ex explanations of these wisdoms tonight. With the purification of the coordinating mental faculty, the sixth. So I think all, the basis of all ordinary experience uh, would be these would be the Alia, I guess. Yeah, so the the Buddha family is the, the uh, Alia, the foundation, and then <clears throat> purification of consciousness as the basis of all ordinary experiences, the Alia Vijnana, that uh, results in mirror-like timeless awareness. Purification of the coordinating mental faculty is the sixth consciousness. There's timeless awareness as equalness with the purification of the afflictive aspect of consciousness, the me consciousness. The seventh, there is discerning timeless awareness and with the purification of the five sense consciousnesses, there's timeless awareness as spontaneous fulfillment. The sutra approaching the three kinds, the subsiding within basic space of the basis of all ordinary experiences, the basis of space of phenomena. I guess he repeats the same thing, so I'll skip that. In positing that there is transformation of the eight into the five, moreover, one is simply assume, uh, using sorry, that term to describe the process whereby one is purified of afflictive states along with their supports. This is a valid use of the term because if one were not purified of these states, the corresponding qualities of enlightenment would not manifest. But it is impossible for what is transformed into timeless awareness to be aff afflictive states in their own right. Because such states would stand in complete contradiction to what timeless awareness is. And because afflictive states are in fact explained to be factors that must be eliminated, which means that one must be purified of them. These aspects of timeless awareness can be char characterized as causes in the ordinary sense. This would contradict the explanation that they are timelessly present in a spontaneous way, not as compounded phenomena within one's fundamental being, because they would of necessity be compounded, that is newly created through a process of transformation. So there really is no transformation. There's this process of revelation, basically. If one held this to be so, it would mean that these causes were permanent because they would thus be, be thus compounded. If one held this to be so, the state of total freedom would entail transition and change from which it would follow that it is pertained to the truth of suffering because it's impermanent and compounded. Thus, through reasoning, these and similar erroneous statements can be disproved because it's the path of, it's the truth of cessation of suffering, not the truth of suffering. <clears throat> they are also undermined by quotations, by scripture. So there's logic, 
that undermines the idea that something is transformed into something else. And then there's quotations. Until beings are liberated, the Kaya Buddhahood is ever present, so has to be involved with the world. One should not even entertain erroneous ideas, let alone believe in them, convinced that they are true. <laughs> don't even entertain, don't even think about it. <laughs> the individual aspects. Uh, these are fourfold. Mirror-like timeless awareness is, in essence, a Tao with five attributes. Its continuity is not fragmented, for it entails none of the divisive barriers imposed by a sense of I. So we're in the Vajra family here. And uh, let's see. Huh. Oh, Chris, I'm going to mute Chris. There we go. No, no uh, offense. Uh, let's see. Its continuity is not fragmented, for it entails none of the divisive barriers imposed by the sense of its field of perception is not fragmented, for it is not that there is awareness of only what is immediately present, but not of what is elsewhere. Its time frame is not fragmented for timeless awareness, inconceivable to the ordinary imagination as ever present. Imagination as ever present. This is because timeless awareness is not impermanent or subject to transition or change. And so the three relative times do not apply. The three relative times are when you wake up in the morning and when you go to sleep. And <laughs> just kidding. The past, present, and future. Seeing if you're paying attention. Uh, its frame of reference is not fragmented, for there is knowledge of all objects in the phenomenal world without exception. Its data are not fragmented. Data is like the topics. Remember, the translator uses this term data, this uh, to translate like ch uh, um, for it knows all things that are knowable simply through their presence without relying on the experience of the data of, of objects. So it just knows all things through their presence. That's neat. It's like being blind and yet seeing everything. So he's going through the five certainties of the Samogakaya, right, for each of these. And the quote basically supports that. Um, it functions in concert with the other three aspects of timeless awareness. Mirror-like timeless awareness is unwavering and supports three aspects of timeless awareness, which are none other than awareness as equalness, discernment, and spontaneous fulfillment. So uh, it seems this guy supports the others. Its function is similar to the arising of a reflection when a mirror and a face come together. When this aspect of timeless awareness expresses itself with respect to someone to be guided, the other three aspects of timeless awareness and the Sambhogakaya manifest like reflections arising in the mirror, in a mirror serving as the ground from which the Nirmanakaya then emanates spontaneously. Because timeless awareness is the reason for everything, that awareness is like the great source for the Sambhogakaya of Buddhahood. comes about as a reflection of timeless awareness. Timeless awareness says equalness is, in essence, the thorough comprehension of all things and their equalness without being confined to either extreme of samsara or nirvana. Skipping the quote, it functions in concert 
with the supreme qualities of love and innate compassion. Its function is to reveal the actual presence of the Rubakayas according to the dedicated intent of those to be guided. As I see it then, skipping the quote, while the mirror-like aspect functions as the ground for the arising of the Rubakayas, timeless awareness as equalness causes them to reveal themselves to those who are to be guided. Discerning, timeless, so equalness was a Ratna, and discerning timeless awareness as Padma is in essence timeless awareness that is unimpeded with respect to all objects in the phenomenal world entailing mastery of the presentation of spiritual teachings. Skipping the quoted functions in concert with innumerable states of meditative absorption, powers of complete recall, and so forth. It's an entirely like a treasure trove of meditative absorption of powers and complete recall. Its function is to cause an outpouring of teachings, revealing the manifold richness of enlightened embodiments manifesting amid retinues. Sounds like Trooper Impishin. Just like this amazing outpouring of teachings. Uh, skipping the quote, timeless awareness and spontaneous fulfillment is, in essence, timeless awareness that ensures benefit for humans in myriad ways, sending forth innumerable emanations. Spontaneous fulfillment. So innumerable emanations. If you could emanate, you know, multiple versions of yourself, then it'd be very easy to accomplish everything. Would that be fun? Its function, skipping the quote, its function is to enact deeds that ensure benefit of inconceivable, on an inconceivable scale for those to be guided. These emanations of Buddhahood should always be understood to be inconceivable in terms of the specific deeds they enact, their number, and, their, and every kind of realm in which they manifest. The way of knowing all that can be known, here's the big one. Does a Buddha really know every little thing ever? Does he, does he, does she, does she know it all at the same time or like in sequence, one by one? These are important questions. I know you've been staying up at night unable to sleep because of these. Two topics pertain to my discussion of the way in which such timeless awareness knows all that is to be known discarding the erroneous opinions and establishing the correct view. So three erroneous positions, opinions about the knowing of the all-knowing quality of Buddhahood. Some who claim to be proponents of the Madhyamaka system maintain that a Buddha has no timeless awareness and therefore has no knowledge arising from timeless awareness. Emptiness of the a non-implicative negation. They argue that this is so because objects of knowledge are conceptual elaborations and Buddhahood is free of such elaboration. Moreover, they say awareness must be entailed for there to be non-recognition of awareness. Awareness must be entailed for there to be non-recognition of awareness. Well, and hence with the undermining of non-recognition that entails with the undermining of that non-recognition that entails awareness, the awareness it entails is, <laughs> is undermined as well. 
when you attain enlightenment, you you uh, tra you transcend everything, even awareness, even even wisdom, even enlightenment, according to the some Madhyamakas people, who obviously are erroneous. They suggest that this is implied or supported by the quote from the entrance to the middle way, which is Chandrakirti's famous text. Kaya makes the cessation of ordinary mind fully evident. This position is not unreasonable. From the standpoint of Dharmakaya, the perspective of emptiness, given that timeless awareness cannot be found to be either existent or non-existent, even if one posited it to be existent, this could be refuted. And even if it were held to be non-existent, this too could be refuted. Therefore, it is untenable to claim that Buddha does not have timeless awareness. On the other hand, from the standpoint of the Rubicons, the perspective of manifestation, once those to be guided have manifested the enlightened deeds that ensure their benefit must of necessity manifest. And so timeless awareness must also become manifest. And that's the last topic of this section is the Buddha activity. Oh, let's see. Although it is true that all things imputed by systems of philosophical thought, objects of knowledge, agents of knowledge, knowers, knowables, knowers, and so forth are conceptual elaborations. Sense objects <coughs> excuse me, that are considered manifestations without being imputed in any way cannot be considered conceptual elaborations. Even ordinary people in the world accept this, so it is unreasonable to deny that a Buddha has timeless awareness. We may cite statements such as the following from the Sutra, acting in accordance with the world. Whatever ordinary people accept as existing, that I consider to exist. No argument. If you guys want to believe it's Santa Claus, that's fine. Is that kind of, is that sort of the prasangika view? That is, that's a sort of lower prasangika view. Uh -huh. As you remember, he considers himself a prasangika, but he has what they call great madhyamaka, great prasangika. Since awareness has the support for the non-recognition of awareness and uh, not something predicated, is the support, sorry, not something predicated on it, awareness does not collapse, but the collapse of this non-recognition just as the ground remains, even though a house has been destroyed. <laughs> That's a good analogy. It is said that the Dharmakaya aspect of awakening to Buddha is made evident through awareness, even our hypothetical proponent of Madhyamaka holds that the kaya makes the cessation of ordinary mind fully evident. Although ordinary mind is arrested not only as timeless awareness, not arrested, it is ever present as a superlatively positive state. Alternatively, on what basis is ordinary mind arrested? How could it be arrested if it were not arrested by... Uh, timeless awareness. And what holds it there is an interruption of its functioning, a state something like space, what is similar to a proponent of a Barhashpatya bar system, or Haspatya, whatever that is. <laughs> Therefore, ordinary mind and mental events, i.e. everything that is subsumed within the basis of all ordinary experience, and the eight avenues of consciousness are arrested in the context of awareness. 
timeless awareness. Furthermore, the position that the Buddha has timeless awareness is a worthy position <laughs> for, as the explanation of the entrance, the commentary on the uh, entrance to the middle way, uh, probably the auto commentary, that which ensures benefit for anyone is timeless awareness which entails unsurpassable enlightened deeds. This, moreover, is attained by transcendent and accomplished conquerors solely in Akhenishtha. Got to get to Akhenishtha. Regarding the second erroneous opinion, that some proponents of the Chitta Mantra system hold that it is illogical to say that the timeless awareness of the Buddha can know objects in the external world. This is a common one. How can a Buddha know illusory objects? In support of this, they say that if, if there were knowledge of objects that involved sense data, this would mean that timeless awareness was involved with dualistic perceptions of object and subject. Or alternatively, if there were knowledge without sense data being experienced, this would be a logical absurdity. Um, but their position is not reasonable either. It would mean that there could be no omniscient timeless awareness because there would be no knowledge of sensory appearances manifesting as objects in the external world. If they didn't know everything, then they couldn't know everything. <laughs> um, and one would be applying the same criteria as one does to ordinary awareness, that is, whether or not sense data are present. Regarding the third wrong view, some will accept two levels of truth. While professing a materialist viewpoint, say that sensory appearances are based on confusion, which manifests as the impure state of samsara, actually manifest in their own right in the timeless awareness. Sensory appearances based on confusion actually manifest in their own right in the timeless awareness of a Buddha, and that these self-same appearances are known by the timeless awareness of things in all their multiplicity. If there were no such knowledge, they say it follows that it would be impossible for our impure universe to be an object of knowledge, since that universe could not be perceived by the timeless awareness of an omniscient being. They say that the fact that something is not perceived by but entails it is not being an object of knowledge at all. It's not by but it entails it's not being an object of knowledge at all. And they cite the quote, and why you ask because a Buddha knows yet does not perceive phenomena. And according to the ascertainment of valid cognition, one should understand that with an omniscient one cannot perceive something that is because that thing in no way exists. The plot thickens. Therefore they maintain, even though perceiving what is impure but is not sullied by the flaws of confusion, by this position too, but this position too is incorrect. Putting aside for the moment any question of a Buddha's timeless awareness, let's take that as a given, it is explained that even on the three pure spiritual levels, eight, nine, and ten boomies, the five sense consciousnesses have undergone such a transformation that there is the power to experience the pure realms instead of what we experience. And the quote, because the conceptual mind, ray of mind, perception, and ordinary thing, it has been, have been transform there is the fourfold power to experience non-conceptual awareness pure realms timeless awareness and the carrying out of that 
activity of activity. These four powers apply to the three spiritual levels of the immovable one and the rest. For the first of these, there are two kinds, and for the others, there is held to be a single power for each. How is this quotation to be interpreted? It is a little bit confusing, isn't it? Because of Buddha's three of his distortions of perception based on confusion, it is illogical to maintain that perception based on confusion is ever experienced from a Buddha's own perspective. I think we can agree with that, sort of by definition, right? Nevertheless, some say that although the timeless awareness of a Buddha knows the universe in its pure manifestation, it is impossible for it to know the universe in its impure manifestation because the latter is produced by the afflictive states and karma of ordinary beings because all impure perceptions are for a bit of transformed into pure ones. So there is no impure phenomenon, impure realms. But this position too is illogical. Is or is not the timeless awareness of a Buddha omniscient, timeless awareness? If it's omniscient, then it has to even know illusory phenomena. If it is, we can discount the alternative whereby it does not know the perception of ordinary beings. So Buddha uh, knows what we perceive, which is based on confusion. A Buddha knows what confused beings perceive. Doesn't mean the Buddha is confused by them or believes in them to the slightest, but if it is not, it falls short of being the timeless awareness of a Buddha. So as long as there are beings that that believe and have views, the Buddha knows them. The Buddha knows those perceptions. In conclusion, then the foregoing opinions are incorrect held only be, only because their proponents are simply what accords with their perception or are unable to see see simply what accords with their perception or are unable to see what does not accord with their own perception. The correct answer is that there's two ways to establish the position of the correct answer by showing the way in which a Buddha perceives objects of knowledge and by dealing with objections. In the first place, concerning the Buddha's own perception has been utterly purified of all confusion. Therefore, because confusion has been utterly eliminated and misperception cannot occur, Buddha cannot experience even an iota of perception based on confusion. I think we have to agree that that's sort of the definition of a Buddha. Concerning others' confusion, the Buddha knows all of the unlimited ways in which individual ordinary beings experience things, together with the causes and results involved, seeing them as plainly as a myrobalan fruit in the palm of one's hand. Anybody know what a myrobalan fruit is? Is that what the medicine Buddha holds? Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Somebody's got to look that one up. Sounds cool. That is... Uh, I thought I had one here. Oh, I guess I left it in the kitchen. Uh, let's see. That is a single timeless awareness simultaneously knows all that is perceived by that Buddha and by others because it is, after all, omniscient timeless awareness. <laughs> it's taken this pretty literally, don't you think? Uh, distinguishing the two levels of truth says in a single instant of knowing it embraces the entire spectrum of what can be known 
The significance of this awareness of both states of perception, i.e. confused and unconfused, can be illustrated by the following. I didn't really like this dream analogy, so I'm going to skip that. Do you guys okay with that? Sort of a funny dream, right? Why, why does the elder brother, like, have to be more advanced than the younger brother? Let's see, on the page 231, right, he's, he uh, finishes the analogy. He says, although he, uh, the younger brother, is in fact no better or worse than his elder brother, imagining how the two brothers would recount this story and laugh at the relatively brief period of seeming discrepancy of one being superior to the other. Similarly, one should bear in mind that although Buddhas and ordinary beings share equally the right to dwell in the fine mansion, they got the keys to the house, of timeless awareness, that is their very essence. The difference between them lies in whether or not they have at some point awakened from the sleep of adventitious obscuration. There are two ways in which a Buddha knows all that is to be known. Knowledge of reality, just as it is, refers to the fact that with respect to the essence of all phenomena, samsara and nirvana, timeless awareness of the Buddha cuts through the limitless speculation involving conceptual elaboration concerning origination, cessation, and so forth, the four truths, and the perception of the ordinary characteristics of things and instead thoroughly and directly comprehends that no object of knowledge can be conceived to have any independent nature, even to the slightest degree. This is also termed knowledge of the true nature of phenomena, just as it is, which she explained right at the beginning of this section. Skipping the quotes. Uh, the way in which a Buddha knows things in their multiplicity this is the more challenging one, is as follows. Without a Buddha ever wavering from meditative equipoise, the timeless awareness of that Buddha knows directly that all unlimited objects of knowledge are false and like illusions. This is knowledge of things and their multiplicity. The frame of reference for knowledge of all things is the absence of anything having substantial existence. So knowing that all phenomena are false and like illusions. That is, this is not knowledge like that of each sense consciousness perceiving its respective objects. Rather, there is a single state of consciousness that knows all objects in the phenomenal world without exception. The quote says, the unsurpassable timeless awareness of the victorious one is instantly aware of all objects. It is not that objects of knowledge associated with the three times are not known in the temporal sequence, but rather that they are known all at once. A single ray of sunlight shines forth, bringing illumination to being similarly everything can be known. Everything that can be known manifests all at once in the timeless awareness of a Buddha. So Buddha's omniscience is like even way more uh, uh, way more um, transcendent than you might think. Henrietta? Oh, no, I was just... Um, so it, the, there's, a, there's the temporal 
aspect, but is it also that everything is equal? I think so. Every, but uh, also, the Buddha knows them in the multiplicity. They're equal in being illusory and not truly existent. But uh, I think the Buddha knows all their different differences as well. As, as perceived by confused beings. Confused beings, but yeah. in terms of their nature, there's, there's equal, one. they're equal. Yeah, there's one nature. One nature. Yeah. yeah, so that simplifies that end, right? At least that side is pretty simple. Right. Just one. Oneness. The other side is sort of out of control. Moreover, given that these objects are perceived without any wavering from the context of meditative equipoise, there's nothing that can be characterized as a post-meditation phase in the ordinary sense because distractions have been eliminated outside of their underlying habitual tendencies. So, but it is always completely in samadhi, complete samadhi. Skipping the quote, the nominal distinction between meditative equipoise and the meditation Post-meditation phase is meditative equipoise is the state of not wavering from dharmakaya, i.e. one's own benefit, the goal of, uh, or the, the uh, achievement for one's own benefit in terms of the two benefits. Whereas the post-meditation phase is described as the occurrence of enlightened activities within that state for the benefit of others. Skipping the quote, this description is given for purely semantic reasons. Let's see. Let's do the quote. The causes of becoming free of the two kinds of obscuration, which are knowledge obscurations and klesha obscurations, are two phases of timeless awareness, both non-conceptual awareness and its post-meditation phase are held to be timeless awareness. So in meditation, the Buddha knows the nature of all phenomena and post-meditation, the extent. This description is given for purely semantic reasons, for amassing of the rare and sublime establishes that the Buddha's awareness never wavers from meditative equipoise. Though an elephant sits, this is meditative equipoise. Though an elephant sleeps, Though an elephant dreams, all of it is meditative equipoise, whatever an, an elephant does. <laughs> elephants are always in samadhi, I guess. That's why they're elephants. In the second place, there are two objections to be dealt with. First, someone might object that it is impossible for the true nature of phenomena to be the object of knowledge and reality just as it is. And so it follows that it is impossible for there to be timeless awareness that perceives their, that nature. Bajra Cutter, which I believe is the Diamond Sutra, says the true nature of phenomena is not something that can be known. One cannot have knowledge of it. So that's the quote that supports that misinterpretation. My response to this objection is the Buddha did speak these words for the true nature of phenomena is not an object of knowledge that can be established to have some finite essence. However, that nature can be known by a Buddha for it is the object of one's self-knowing timeless awareness in the sense that there is simply a freedom from extremes inexpressible and inconceivable to the ordinary mind. This is an interesting way of uh, portraying the age-old question of does uh, a, um, 
does an enlightened person have an object of knowledge? Does their wisdom actually have an object of knowledge? And he's saying, well, it doesn't exist. The object of knowledge doesn't exist like ordinary confused objects of knowledge. But, uh, it is the object of one's self-knowing timeless awareness in the sense that there's just freedom from extremes. Mental elaborations are completely cut through conceptual elaborations. Rahula states the following in uh, his work in praise of, of mom. He wrote this on Mother's Day, I think, for his mother. <laughs> Indescribably conceivable and expressible, the perfection of sublime knowing is unborn and unceasing. The very essence of space it is the domain of one's self knowing, timeless awareness. I pay homage to the mother of victorious ones of three times. I think that would be a very nice hallmark Mother's Day card. Second, someone might object that because it is impossible for the timeless awareness of things and their multiplicity to have the impure objects that exist in their own right, it would follow that it is impossible for there to be timeless awareness that perceives those objects. My response is that although these objects do not truly exist, the Buddha knows them for the fallacious things that they are. This is the closest I can come to understanding this, this view of like, this omniscience, that although these objects don't really exist, the Buddha knows them for being non-existent. <laughs> Someone might respond that because it is impossible for there to be a finite limit to what can be known, a finite number of beings or a beginning or an end of samsara, it would follow that is it impossible for there to be timeless awareness that can perceive these fallacious objects. But although I accept that a Buddha knows anything that could possibly be an object of knowledge, possibly, that Buddha does not perceive anything that could not possibly be so, for that would not constitute an object of knowledge by definition. It is rather like the horns of a hare. Um, commentary on the highest continuum. Mahayana Uttara Tantra by Maitreya, his commentary states, though there is no beginning, there is no end. What is he talking about there? What has what has a beginning, uh, no beginning but an end? There's a riddle. There's a Buddhist riddle. What has no beginning but an end? Our confusion if we become a Buddha? Yeah, samsara. Confusion has no beginnings, beginningless, but there is an end to it. Thank you. This refers to the point at which those who attain a state of total purity have been purified of the last vestiges of afflictive states, then there is thorough knowledge. Well, I hope that was clear. <laughs> I, I sort of found that whole thing rather confusing and not like, it's hard to come away with a definitive, uh, like, clear view on, well, what is this omniscience? But basically, it seems to be the ability to know uh, even fallacious objects. As long as somebody thinks of them, the Buddha knows them. Something like that. Enlightened activity, Buddha activity, regarding the deeds that constitute enlightened activity, Nirvanakaya, emerges within the context of Sambhogakaya, 
or from the from the context of Sambhogakaya occurring without interruption for as long as conditioned existence continues in keeping with the dedicated intent of ordinary beings. So Nirmanakaya is manifest spontaneously without the, the Sambhogakaya thinking, oh, I'm going to emanate a Nirmanakaya. It happens based on uh, the uh, dedicated intent of ordinary beings. For as long as samsara endures, activity is considered to be uninterrupted, meaning Buddha activity. Uh, Derek? Yes, ma'am. So, in in a sense, we're we are us ordinary beings are the you cause. Did it. It's all your fault. You did it. Yeah, it's, we're the cause of their of their rising of, of the rising and seeing things yeah. that we see. Otherwise, yeah. they wouldn't have any need to. That's see right. These yeah. So if if you ever are like feeling low and having a low bad <laughs> self image, just think to yourself, it's my doing that there's that the Buddha emanated that Shakyamuni Buddha appeared just because of me and you. Is that what is that what it means when it said <laughs> kill the Buddha? Oh, don't oh. kill the Buddha. Don't kill the Buddha. Those people are heretical. They like put their shoes on their head, all sorts of things. Let's see. Uh, in the middle of uh, 234, you might wonder how can this be so? A Buddha ensures benefit by knowing the character of beings, what is required to guide them, what actions constitute skillful means, and how not to lose opportunities to act. Uh, skipping the quote. How does this spontaneous involvement take place, you ask? This can be understood through nine analogies. Uh -huh. Another set of analogies, of course. According to the same source being the highest continuum, the by Maitreya. Like Indra, just like Indra, just like a drum, like clouds, Brahma, the sun, the most majestic wish-fulfilling gem, an echo, space, and the earth. For as long as conditioned existence endures, Buddhas ensure benefit for others effortlessly, and yogins are aware of this. Isn't that cool that those things actually have a common element to them? They're all analogies for the manifestation of enlightened activity of the Buddha. They manifest like the form of the Lord of the Gods reflected in a precious jewel. They offer excellent counsel like the drum of the gods. The drum of the gods tells you what to do. Uh, the sovereign lords... Brahma amass clouds of supreme wisdom and love which pervade the realms of limitless beings up to the pinnacle of conditioned existence like Brahma not wavering from his untainted realm they display emanations to the greatest extent in manifold ways like the sun their timeless awareness radiates this brilliant illumination the enlightened mind is totally pure like a precious Wish fulfilling gem. The enlightened speech of the victorious ones is like an echo, is ultimately beyond words. 
Enlightened form is like space, pervasive, without form, and continuous. Their form is without form. <laughs> uh, like the earth, Buddhahood serves as the ground for all spiritual medicine without exception, which nurtures what is positive in all beings. Those are the nine. Thus, wherever the makeup of beings pervade, provides the opportunity, the effect of spontaneously accomplished enlightened activity is felt immediately, like sunlight. How is this so pure beings to be guided? Our vessels of water, in all of which the reflections of the sun, Sukhut and Garba, appear instantly in countless numbers. Furthermore, the same source indicates that enlightened activity conforms to the minds of those to be guided. Immaculate ground of lapis, lapis lazuli. Imagine like a the ground being lapis appears the reflection of the form of the Lord of God. Similarly, on the immaculate ground of beings' minds appears the reflection of the form of the Lord of sages. So the Buddha appears like a reflection in, uh, on the ground of the mind of all beings. For beings, the arising and subsiding of such reflections takes take place according to the unsullied or sullied condition of their own minds. It's cool that he used the term sullied and unsullied before, long before uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> this is the only time that I ever like otherwise came across that term. In, uh, let's see. Where the heck am I now? Oh, sorry. The enlightened activities of Buddha's giving teachings and so forth at the bottom of 235 that manifest in such ways do so because of the individual karma of those to be guided. Among the gods, the sound of the drum of the god occurs because of their own karma. Similarly, in this world, the teachings of the sage take place because of beings' own karma. For example, just as those without ears do not hear anything, not even an echo of those whose karma is such that they will not meet with Buddhas and other spiritual beings and receive teachings from them will not do so. Skipping the quote. To summarize, until samsara has been emptied, benefit is ensured through three kinds of miracles establishing beings on the path to peace. These three are described in the commentary to the Uttara Tantra to fill all universes without exception in the ten directions with physical displays of miracles is to demonstrate what is termed miracles based on supernormal powers. To know the minds of different beings and thereby cause realization to manifest as a profound experience in the mind of those beings is to demonstrate miracles based on effective speech being able to speak to every single being in a way that transforms them. To speak melodiously in order to advise and instruct beings, beginning with the path to certain releases to demonstrate miracles based on instruction, teaching the way to enlightenment. The distinctive features of the path of nowhere learning. There are three. As to the distinctive process of elimination, the two kinds of obscuration together with their tendencies. So this is a 
the uh, knowledge obscur obscuration has these latent tendencies that linger on for quite a long time, are eliminated without exception. The Vajra Pinnacle, cool text name, afflictive states as well as what they produce and likewise the afflictive and cognitive obscurations, any factors whatsoever that are counterproductive have been overcome. This is explained here and now to be the state of a transcendent and accomplished conqueror. And uh, the sage is definitely free of all obscuration. As to the distinctive realization, this is the authentic realization of all phenomena just as they truly are in one's direct experience. According to the intermediate length mother, there's no phenomena whatsoever about which Tathagatas are unenlightened or that they do not perceive or that they do not know. In their direct experience, they know all phenomena to the utmost degree just as they truly are. As to the distinctive qualities, one is endowed with all qualities of enlightenment without exception, both those of the world and those that transcend the world. Analysis shows that one is in possession of a treasure trove of the 64 qualities of enlightenment. We had the 32 major and the 80 minor marks, and now we have the 64 qualities of enlightenment, the ongoing adornments of enlightened form, speech, and mind. These 64 are enumerated in the commentary to the Uttara Tantra. That's the Tathagata's 10 strengths, four states of fearlessness, that's 14, 18 qualities unique to a Buddha, that's like, what, 32? And 32 minor marks makes 64 of a supreme spiritual being are all in evidence united as one. This makes 64 in all. The 10 strengths are listed in the highest continuum. Knowledge of what is logically inconsistent incons and what is not, of the consequences of karma, of the acumen of beings, of their character, of their dedicated intent, of paths that lead to all possible goals, of states of meditative stability, free of the distortions of afflictive states, of recollection of former lifetimes, of clairvoyance, and of the state of peace. These are the ten strengths of knowledge. Sometimes they're usually called the ten knowledges. The four states of fearlessness are enumerated in that same book. Being completely aligned about all phenomena, eliminating hindrances, demonstrating the path, and demonstrating the state of cessation. These are the four states of fearlessness. Unique qualities are given in the same source. The enlightened teachers know no confusion and do not speak pointlessly. They do not suffer from impaired memory. Their minds are never such that they lack meditative equipoise, nor do they entertain all matter of concepts. They do not experience impartiality, as I'm just turning apathy. <laughs> uh, they know no impairment of attention, diligent mind diligence, mindfulness, sublime knowing, total freedom, or realization of the timeless awareness of total freedom. Their actions are preceded by timeless awareness, and their timeless awareness is not obscured with respect to time. <laughs> Thus, these 18 qualities and others and their unique quality are the unique qualities of enlightened teachers. And by the way, the major marks were described earlier Thank you, Neil.
Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a, have a happy holiday. Thanks. You too. Take care. So we have half an hour remaining or so. And uh, normally we celebrate at this point and pass out drinks and food. Uh, do we have any volunteers for servers? <laughs> you guys need a minute to get something to feast upon? What do you think? Or should we just go and dive into the Vajrayana section? <laughs> uh, yes, I need a few minutes. Okay. Okay, we'll wait for you. We put some pressure on. <laughs> We're all supposed to get something good to eat or drink, right? Okay, we'll be right back. Thank you all. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Waiting for Barbara, right? I have an orange. Yeah. Uh, Mary Beth one, has one an piece, apple. One piece of chocolate. One piece of chocolate. Must be really good chocolate. It is very good, actually. What was the label again? Yo, how do you pronounce that? Of what? How do you pronounce the name of that chocolate on the bag? This chocolate? Yeah. Oh, I'm confusing you with Anya. Anya's like right at... Does Anya have special chocolate, too? Oh, yeah. Oh, so, so chill. These are so chips. chips. Great chips. Oh, neat. So chill is how you pronounce it. Right. So so chill. And good salsa they do. Yeah. And em okay, so you got chips. Emily has uh, chocolate. 
And Chris has uh, nuts. Mango, nuts, chocolate. Mango, nuts. Wow, I didn't know mangoes had nuts. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. What are you all drinking? Hard cider. Yeah. Mm. You bring that frequently, I think, in the past when we met in person. I have a McAllen single malt. Mm. Ooh. Ooh. I love scotch after this. Cranberry. Cranberry juice with vodka. Oh, nice. (laughs) (laughs) It's been my drink of choice lately. (laughs) Sounds delicious. Mm. And barley tea. That's nice. With not yak butter and salt. (laughs) (laughs) I can't get through dinner and bedtime with my toddler without having a beer, so I already had my... (laughs) <laughs> beer earlier. All right. What kind of beer? Uh, it was a conehead, I think, from Vermont. Conehead? Is that an <laughs> I- IPA? I think it is, yeah. Mm. Very good. Conehead from Vermont, you recommend. Okay, cool. I do. I looked up Mirobalan. Oh, yeah. What'd you get? It's a tropical. It's a f- in the family of tropical almonds. Ooh. It's like a mango nut. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Or macadamia. They didn't, not as big as a mango. No, no, that was, Derek was uh, making a joke earlier a about joke, mango yeah. nuts oh, that I'm oh, yeah. following up on. <laughs> Let's see, Brent has uh, pizza. Liz, what does Liv have? Liz have? Chips. Yep. Chips. Morgan, what does Morgan have? He has his hands. <laughs> and Lori? Lemonade. Ooh. Ah, you're drinking the lemonade. Good. <laughs> and Liz, that looks good. <laughs> oh, she's got more than chips. <laughs> she's got a sandwich. Oh, yeah. so got like a deli pastrami. Uh, pastrami sandwich. Cool. Barbara, what's for dinner? What do you have? Ooh, the best. What do you all make of this book? What do you think of it? There it's- were chapters that were hard, were a struggle and chapters that were like amazingly exciting to read. That was my experience. Yeah. yeah it was sort of all over the place. It, amazing amount of material he covers. It's like a precursor, like a, a version of the treasury of knowledge. Uh, John Cultural writes five, six hundred years later which is now translated into 10 times the, it's 10 times the size of this book. Does that mean it's not as condensed? Right, (laughs) right. It's much more expansive, much more extensive explanations of things. I'm excited to read the Vajrayana over Christmas break. (laughs) Wow. I may not understand it all, but 
I'm going to read it anyway. Oh, good for you. It's a lot. There's a lot there. goes on for quite a while. It really emphasized for me how, um, how important it is to have an understanding of these different tenets that they, they don't work against each other. It's all cumulative and, and important for, I mean, clearly he's saying it's important to know these in order to go on to the Vajrayana. No, that, yeah, you could be in trouble. Yeah, I, I, I got that sense. It's yeah. for the first time that it's not, this stage is better than that stage, but it's all cumulative. Yeah. And it seems like it's not optional. Like you got to know this right. <laughs> to some extent, you got to know these things according to, from his point of view. Yeah. It's been, very, it's been very cool to do this class and do um, Path of Liberation at the same time. Individ, Path of Individual Liberation has been really cool, like, um, you know, similar material in many parts. And I, I think Rinpoche used this text. Did, did you say that? that yeah, so it was pretty, that, that was a pretty cool experience because such different approaches to getting the information out and they really complemented each other in a really cool way. Yeah. 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 One of the, the themes that pervades both of them and, <clears throat> and so much of the literature is the use of analogies. Mm -hmm. So many analogies and examples. Ripshay is a real artist with analogies also. And he doesn't like do the you know traditional list of the nine and the twenty two and so forth. Mm -hmm. But uh, he comes up with some great phrases in that book, the first volume of the of the profound treasury. In the beginning, you 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 went through the introduction and the discipline section, I think, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Gnawing on rock. <laughs> I love that one. Well, I love that one. This didn't come up in that class, but I always loved um, Camus does an analysis of the myth of Sisyphus that I felt was really relevant to the gnawing on rock uh, analogy that there's happiness in constantly pushing a giant rock up a hill and then having it just roll back down again. <laughs> That's great. That's great. There's happiness in that. Nothing yeah. you know they do. Yeah. See it. You get to see it roll down really quickly. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's neat. Mm -hmm. So, what else are people up to? Mary Beth, you're muted though. We missed. Reminds them. me of sledding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Lug your. That's like skiing also. Like you spend like forever getting up to the top and then it's over like in a, two minutes. <laughs> so what's your holiday reading for Christmas? Chris is going to read the Vajrayana section. 
Essence mm -hmm. of Buddhism and Buddhism Beyond Gender continue with. All right. Yeah. Oh, what is Beyond Gender? Buddhism Beyond like? Gender. Uh, Rita M. Gross. Oh, just start, just started it and it's really good. Or I really like it so far. I think some people like it better than others. But. That's cool. Buddhism Beyond Gender. Yeah, that was her last book before she unfortunately passed away. Mm -hmm. I'm reading, I'm actually listening to Minjur Rinpoche in Love with the World. Mm. Neat. It's Neat. beautiful. Yeah, that's cool. It's like a story, you know, and it's so personal. Yeah, cool. Neat. Major Rinpoche I, went on a four-year retreat. He just disappeared. He didn't tell anyone except like one person where he was, that he was going. He didn't tell anybody where, because he didn't know where he was going to go. He was just going to wander around like, like they used to do. Just he left a note. <laughs> yeah. At the don't, monastery. Don't, don't worry about me. I'll be okay. <laughs> he almost dies, by the way. Which yeah. is what oh, the, that, spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> And, the, neat, the neat thing was, and I didn't know you could do this, but I bought it on Amazon because I, I bought it as an ebook. And they were offering, I, I don't know if this is some, I've never come across it before, but they were offering a deal with Audible. So you could buy the ebook and get the Audible book for nothing, and mm. they, they sync. So sometimes you uh, read or you can listen to that's it. That's cool. It, oh, yeah. It's very cool. And it's a very well-narrated book. The, the speakers, sometimes they're not so good. but Neat. Cool. Yeah. Hmm. Audible. They sink, huh? Yeah. Have you, have you seen the work of the Chogyam Shungpa transcribers? There's this project to transcribe Chungpa Rinpoche's writing, teachings. You know, we only have like about a third of them in, in print of his teachings. Mm. And so there's this project now by this uh, thing called the Chogyam Chungpa Institute to transcribe the rest. And they're doing it in this really cool, high-tech way where you can, you can uh, see the words on the screen and hear the, aud the audio. And you can and you can skip around to different sections of the of the written word, and it will take you right to that place in the audio, and, and vice versa. Sorry. I, I was going to ask if everyone here gets the Westchester Meditation Center newsletter. Yeah, I've had a yeah. halt. It, it keeps kicking me off the mailing list for some reason. <laughs> Use your your real name. <laughs> the, the newsletter that we're in process of getting out, maybe later tonight, maybe tomorrow, um, has a write-up, a little blurb on that that will link you to some of these um, interactive trans video transcriptions. Wow. Cool. Is it on the website, too? Um. It is actually, yeah. It's actually on the website homepage. It just went on tonight. It's way down at the bottom. Okay. Scroll down to the bottom of the landing page, and there's, uh, I think it's linked there as well. Great. 
and some of them they have video for so you see him and you hear the words uh, synchronized with him speaking and then you see the words typed out yeah. you can skip around it's pretty neat Oh, I wanted to mention too, Derek, uh, maybe people would be interested. Nalanda Bodhi, New York, is having Judy Leaf come yes. in January, January 15th and 16th, if you're yeah. interested. That's great. We should, we should circulate that. You want me to put it in the chat? That is also um, going to be in this newsletter. And oh, okay. It just went on the website um, that's in the same spot. What's the topic, Henrietta? Choosing sanity in chaotic times or something like that, I think. Right, Liz? I think that's the topic. So we asked her to teach at uh, Westchester Meditation Center by Zoom since uh, she can Zoom into anywhere. And she accepted we just need to work out the details. So if you have suggestions for topics, let me know. That's cool. Yeah, this must be great for teachers. Well, great for students, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can zoom into, like, courses all over the place. Anywhere in the world. Bodhicitta. Bodhicitta. That's a good idea. Have her speak on bodhicitta. Mm. So, uh, just as a little teaser, take uh, take out your book. If you still have it, if you kept it, hopefully you still have it. Make sure your hands are not all funky. <laughs> and then turn to page three fifteen. at the bottom of page 315 you have uh, this uh, subject header that says the category of expanse (laughs) if you flip a few pages back you see there's uh, the header says the category of mind The Ati Dzogchen section, the innermost section of the Ati, has three parts to it. It has mind, and then the expanse is usually called space section. And then there's the uh, secret instruction section. Let's see what he calls that. The category of direct transmission on 324. But if you look through the uh, category of expanse, just, you know, to check out, oh, what are the subtopics in there? On page 316, you have the black expanse. And then on 317, you have the multicolored expanse. And then on 319, you have the white expanse. And then on 320, you have the immense expanse. 
<laughs> These are things that are just like way out there. Like, what are they talking about? How about the that's, white expanse? That's going beyond black and white. That's right. Let's look at the multicolored one. That's a good. That's a good idea. On three seventeen, according to the multicolored expanse, the essence of being is naturally occurring timeless awareness. He's still talking about the same thing. Can't get off this timeless awareness. Derek, Derek, can I just ask a question? This is kind of a yes. stupid question. I should have asked a while ago. Is there another word for timeless awareness that is used in um, like Trigyam Trungpa Rinpoche's writings? Um, I think you said it's Janana. Yeah. But I'm having trouble figuring out what it is. I know. It's <laughs> it's odd the way he uses it, this translator. So it is it is in Sanskrit jhana. So if you look in the back, there's a glossary, which is very helpful. Because it's not prajna. Right. So in, uh, the word list is 481. So it's timeless awareness. And then he gives the, the Tibetan. I don't think he gives the Sanskrit. But is there an Eng- is there an English word that's it's, used in some of the Shambhala writings, for example? Yeah, it's usually primordial wisdom. Um, so timeless, primordial, and awareness wisdom. We usually say primordial wisdom. Okay, thanks. And then prajna is usually transcendent wisdom or transcendent knowledge. Okay, thank you. And, and jnana is the paramita of the 10th bhumi. So according to the multicolored expanse, the essence of being is naturally occurring timeless awareness. Sensory appearances which manifest as the display of that awareness are, in quotes, in that they are the display of the true nature of phenomena manifesting in a naturally arising way, but are not, in that they arise such that this nature is all-pervasive and not subject to extremes. Thus it is maintained that display is beyond denial or affirmation. You can't say it is or isn't. The display, the display of phenomena, the display of reality. Analysis of this expanse reveals that it has three subdivisions. The multicolored expanse that conforms to the category of mind and speaks in terms of what exists the multicolored expanse that conforms to its own category and speaks in terms of what does not exist, (laughs) the multicolored expanse that conforms to the category of direct transmission and speaks in terms of the unity of what exists and does not exist. According to the multicolored expanse that conforms to the category of mind because naturally occurring timeless awareness in essence cannot be differentiated in any way whatsoever as abiding or as free. Its essence is natural purity. Given that it cannot be found to exist within any duality of something to deny or affirm, its nature is utter lucidity. Skipping to the next paragraph. According to the multicolored expanse that conforms to its own categories, since things that manifest in one's perception with their individual natures are free in their own place, 
they exist, so to speak, and that the true nature of phenomena rises in myriad ways, but do not exist, so to speak, and that they are free in their own place, and so are beyond karma and consequence. In this subdivision, using their line of reasoning that all vacillating things are empty and evanescent, one can prove that what is manifest yet ineffable is utterly pure. You got your homework cut out for you, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at it like, oh, shit. <laughs> what the hell was that all about? <laughs> I have to read that five times. <clears throat> it's going to be a slow read. Yeah, yeah. So you can look this up in the Profound Treasury, Volume 3. In the okay. back, Rip, yeah. Rimshay goes through these different expanses. See what he has to say. See if it helps clarify it. <laughs> very advanced uh, esoteric stuff plus he has two traditions he outlines right the sarma and the nyingma but I guess the sarma is just a short chapter yeah because he's a nyingma Mm -hmm. but he has to pay lip service to the sarma who are the Sarma? Anybody know what the Sarmas are? Remember. Sarmas are all the other schools, the new translation schools. Yeah, so Sarma means right. new. Sar- Sar- say, say what they are, sorry? That would be the Kagyu, the Gelug, the Sakya, uh, etc. Yeah, the three uh, main Sarma schools. And uh, what is the dividing period between the new and the old school? So the old school is the Nyingma, which is literally what Nyingma means. It means the old ones. So the dividing was like that whole period of time where Buddhism was um, like Lung Dharma and the whole decimation of Buddhism in Tibet, right? And then after that was ended and whoever killed Lung Dharma, then when it came back, it was in these multiple schools, the Sarma, right? Yep, yep. So there's two periods to so the trans, trans, uh, trans something, the importation of Buddhism into Tibet. The first period is with Padmasambhava and Shantarakshita and Virochana and Vimalamitra in the 8th century. And they give rise to the Nyingma tradition. And then uh, there's a king a few generations later named Long Dharma who decides that Buddhism is the worst thing ever made and he wants to go back to Bun, which was the indigenous tradition of Tibet. So he persecutes Buddhism, kills lots of monks and destroys monasteries. And, and uh, finally somebody kills him, somebody assassinates him. This uh, great Siddha, uh, there's a uh, celebration, a... Um, like a Midsummer's Day celebration, a big uh, um, outdoor event, and they, the Tibetans are big on like horseback riding and shooting arrows, and really good at like shooting arrows while they're horseback riding. And so this one guy pretended to be in like this, <clears throat> um, a uh, uh, what do they call it? A presentation. A uh, a show, a uh, demonstration. 
demonstration. Entertainment, though, it was like, you know, entertainment. Mm -hmm. One of many, like, entertaining things for the king and everybody at this big uh, celebration. Like a pageant or something? Yeah, um, I can't think of the right word. I'm not sure that pageant is it. But anyway, during this performance, there's all these performances. Uh, there's like guys riding horses and shooting arrows. And and uh, suddenly he turns and he shoots the king with the arrow, kills the king. And then <clears throat> he, had, uh, he had a white horse and he colored it with uh, soot with charcoal so it appeared black completely black and uh um he had his his clothing was all uh, white or something for the performance and then uh, he takes off and they take off after him but he he goes through a stream and he washes off the horse mm -hmm. so the horse becomes white instead of black and then he changes his clothes or something and he's now uh, black instead of white and somehow manages to get away and then after that uh, the teachings gradually come back <clears throat> so Long Chenpa's giving a little summary of the Sarma Vajrayana tradition which is not his main concern so the enigma is his main concern So where are people going on vacation for the holidays? <laughs> uh, big family get-togethers for Christmas? <coughs> Zoom. Yeah. Zoom. Zoom Christmas I had dinner. Yesterday. That's good. <laughs> your Christmas dinner by Zoom. That's how did cool. you do yours, Chris? What did you, how did that? We just, you know, we just had a Zoom meeting. We all the cousins. I mean, there's not many of us. Uh -huh. My siblings and I have uh, three cousins. Cool. Um, All over? Yeah. Boston, Maryland, Arizona. If you, if you have a big gathering on Zoom, my suggestion is to do it like play a game of some kind, <laughs> like trivia. Because otherwise it's too hard to talk. That's what I found with my, I have a pretty big family. So like we always do something like that and it seems to work a little better. I find Yeah, yeah it, it was, I mean, it was kind of hard and there wasn't that many of us. And yeah. Hard to get a word in. <laughs> we did like a three hour open house. So people kind of dropped in and dropped out and we didn't even, I mean, sometimes I was in the kitchen <laughs> I wasn't always there, so. Oh, that's people... a good way to do it. Yeah, yeah. it was very nice because that way people weren't talking all the time. Or somebody was talking, but not everybody. Right. No. Right. It was nice, actually. You were in the kitchen getting the food ready for everybody. That was Thanksgiving. So. <laughs> <laughs> I actually heard of a company that they did, uh, I don't remember who it was, but. Um, you know, they did a little Zoom party with their employees, and they actually shipped bottles of wine to everybody at their homes. Aww. I think it was like a big startup or something. Um, That's neat. Yeah. Or a wine, wine company. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Noir, what's new on the West Coast? <laughs> he's hiding from us. He's he's uh, out there drinking noir. You no, know, noir. No, I'm, I'm actually pretty sick right now, like laying in bed. Um, oh, no. So, like, I'm listening to you guys and, like, bring some warmth to my heart. Oh, dear. You don't sound good. Uh, you don't have anything serious, do you? Oh, I don't know. It's one of those things where you, like, sleep all day sort of thing. Feels somewhat like a flu sort of thing, you know? Okay. Let's hope it's not the uh, unspeakable one. <laughs> I, I hope you feel all, better, it's, Noir. It's good. Yes, thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, feel better quickly. Just keep sleeping <laughs> until you don't need to anymore. I'll wake up and it's like, you know, Christmas. You know? Next Aww. year. Liquids. <laughs> Drinking liquids. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget to eat. You got to keep strong. And check in with people if you're not well, you know, if it doesn't go away. Thank you. Don't, don't let it go life. too long in case it's something serious. Yeah, do you yeah. have people out there? No, no. It's okay. Somebody go out there and check in. Yeah. No, you don't want to be next to me when I'm sick, then I'd get you sick. That wouldn't <laughs> that wouldn't help yeah. much, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How long have you been sick? Uh just as of yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yesterday I just started getting really dizzy and I think mm. my temperature went up to like 102 or something like that. Ugh. And I was just like really cold. And so I'm just like, you know, uh, taking care of my body by hydrating, uh, trying to get liquids into me and, uh, sleeping a bunch. I feel like our bodies are pretty dynamic and it's good to, uh, to treat your, your body right based on what you've learned, you know? You got it, man. Just rest, lots of fluids, but don't forget to eat food, too. You need strength. Wow. Okay. We're all going to check in with you in a couple of days. Make sure you're okay. Yeah, because yeah, if, if it gets into five days or so, you know, make sure you check in with the doctor and watch out for the... in case it... Uh, morphs into this uh, little plague that we're dealing with. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep an eye out. I, pre I appreciate your advice. Thank you. You know, they, they say somewhere around the fifth day or so, it starts to get bad sometimes. Oh, does it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it fifth, varies. But... The fifth to the seventh day. Once you hit the eighth, seventh, eighth, you're out of the woods. Oh, come on. You can't count on that. No, but that's the general trend. And that's, that's what happened with James. Right. But I think they've been saying that sort of from five to 10 is where it can either, you know, as you're saying, get worse and better, or it can get worse and worse. So yeah. that's where you really have to watch that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Practice breathing. Yeah. <laughs> Does Jane have long-term, any long-term effects? Oh, doesn't, doesn't seem to have any anymore. She, uh, she had a cough that lingered for quite some time and uh, there was some fluid around her heart initially and that disappeared 
Good. Thank goodness. I have a friend from my Qigong uh, clan that has the long-term thing, and it is mm-hmm. wicked. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of people good. have that. It's really, you know, like a major, that's going to be one of the major fallouts yeah. that isn't really being given enough attention. Yeah, what is the, what are her long-term or his long-term? Well, there's the energetic, just the energetic aspect of it. Because here we're talking about a person who was healthy and had, I don't think, any real pre-existing kind of conditions or anything. Um, and, you know, just inability to, you know, take walks or hikes or do, you know, just normal, ordinary things like that. Her hair fell out. The, um, um, i trying to think some of the other things. I, I haven't actually, I need to check in again. She's out in Oregon. So, um we only really keep in touch through long distance, but um, it, the problem is that it's just so many variety of things that happen. I mean, what I'm describing is just the, you know, the tip of the iceberg there in terms of what these long-term issues can be. It sounds People, like you know, congestive have, heart. They have lung. trouble working, you know, being able to add the foggy, the brain fog. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure you guys have read this stuff too, but it's, 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 it's bad. Mm. Wow. The, those who, you know, make light of it, like our former, are crazy. Yeah. crazy. Yeah, but, you know, like within our family, we have, I mean, we go, cover the full spectrum of how people are handling this. I couldn't believe it, but some members of our family are traveling and going to Six Flags and oh, no. God knows what, but... You know, and my husband and I barely leave the apartment. So it's just crazy. And and they were saying that they went to see the doctor after they came back and he didn't even test. He didn't suggest that they be tested. And it's like even doctors don't seem to follow the same protocols depending on what state you're in. They didn't quarantine? Nothing. <laughs> I mean, we don't socialize but i just it's crazy to see that that is true yes, that is really weird yeah when i when i go to doctors visits just for checkups and stuff they're they're asking me if i've been to another state and they won't you know they'll refuse you if you've gone to another state mm. yeah they, these are people with underlying medical conditions you would think they'd be even more careful but I don't know. They get different information. They're in Pennsylvania. I don't know what the situation is there, but. Or I just wonder, like, are some people like just not getting information? I'm just so confused. Like I live in this big apartment complex and a lot of people walk around the halls with no mask on. Even though we, you know, our building keeps telling people over and over again, they have to. And it, it's, I just keep thinking, are these people just, Oblivious? I don't. I don't know. It's very confusing. I don't, I don't, I don't think feel like you can. I'm, I'm way up them. upstate New York. It's conservative, and I can see the guys grumbling. But when they hit the door at you know the stewards or whatever, they put on a mask. Yeah, that's so, why I'm confused here because they're live getting in, the information. In, they're, they're just resisting it. Yeah, but I live in a very liberal. You know, I live in Massachusetts, and it's like it's not people who are giving off like Trump vibes. Let's put it that way. So I don't know. 
why it's very confusing and you can't say anything to them right i don't want to get near enough to them to say anything to them you know right PTSD, post Trump (laughs) disorder. Seriously. At least there hopefully will be a post Trump. Yeah, that remains to be seen. Remains to be seen. Looking looking better and better, but. Well, just in terms of how much he's going to be, you know, lurking around influencing and all that weirdness. Weirdness. Yeah, I mean, as far as what you're to, saying, uh, what news you're organizations saying. are panicking. They're not, they don't know what to say. How are they going to make any money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. they, they somehow did something before, so they've got to be able to come up with something after, you know? There is there was, the There was a life before Trump. Right. <laughs> there's, there's other parts of the world. <laughs> That's right. right. There's bigger issues that have been neglected now for four years. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy. Anyway, Noir, feel better and get help if you need it. Thank you. <laughs> well, on that note, guys, why don't we wrap it up? Any, any last uh, comments or suggestions? Oh, I have one. Thank you all so much for your generosity. I was really blown away. I just, I got this some uh, email today saying a huge amount of money. Thank you all very much for your generosity. Thank you. Really appreciate thank it. You, yeah, thank you, Derek. Your yeah, thank hair. you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much, Jenpa. Thank you. So why don't we dedicate the merit and, and, by this merit, may all nations defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the storms of lands and birthdays, sickness and death from the ocean of May I free all beings by the confidence of the golden sun and the great east. May the lotus garden of the regions wisdom May the dark ignorance of sentient beings be dispelled. May all beings enjoy profound brilliant glory. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Be safe. Happy stay holidays. well. Thank you, Happy Derek. Holidays. Happy when do we start again? When, is, when do we start again? 